Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Epiphany marks the end of our Christmas celebrations and the beginning of the Epiphany season. During this particular service, we had a baptism, which is very unusual. So we discuss the connection between Christmas and baptism. You're listening to Baptism and Christmas by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our scripture reading tonight, and it's a little bit wrong in the bulletin, is Isaiah 59, verse 20 through 60, verse 6. So it's just the end of 59 and the beginning of Isaiah chapter 60. So please turn with me to Isaiah 59, verse 20, and we'll start our reading from there. Before we do that, let me say that tonight's service, as you know, and as I've already said, traditionally marks the end of our Christmas celebrations. Um, We celebrate Epiphany tonight. Uh, We think about Christ coming into this world. We light candles. We light them down the aisles. We light them on the Reredos. And later we light them amongst one another. And it's a wonderful way to finish our Christmas celebrations. It's something we've done for a long time. Uh, Before I got here, this was being done. So in that respect, this evening service is, is typical for what we do at this time of year. What is not typical is that we have a baptism. It's unusual of a baptism at this service, and I will confess to you that that was mostly because this was the only day that worked for everyone. But I will also say that this is a happy accident, or as we Reformed people like to say, an act of providence. In that, when you think about baptism and Christmas, and the things that we celebrate in those two things, and the things, the promises that are inherent in those two events, Baptism and Christmas celebrate some of the very same things that we hold at the center of our faith. And to see that tonight, for tonight's passage, I've chosen Isaiah 60. That's a passage we always read at this service. It's the quintessential epiphany passage because it talks about the people who've been sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Rise, shine, for your light has come. So it's the perfect passage for an evening like this but it's also a pretty good baptism passage. And to show how that's true, I'm going to back up and we'll start at 59 verse 20 and listen to the covenantal promises that come with the light. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children, and on the lips of their descendants from this time forth and forever, says the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. The the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense 
and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So Christmas and baptism, there are at least two ways I think that Christmas and baptism go together. And the first of them is both Christmas and baptism are times where we celebrate the faithfulness of God's covenant promises. Covenant promises are at the center of both celebrations. Isaiah 60, I think many of you know the situation of the Israelites to whom these words were addressed. This passage, these words of Isaiah, were addressed to Israel while it was in exile in Babylon. Israel, Judah, was in exile for 70 years. They went in in 587 B.C., and they were there for 70 years, did not get back to almost 500 B.C., And it was a transformative time for them, right? There was a traumatic event, being conquered, seeing your cities burned, and being transported far away from home. And once they were there, the trauma continued. They were an enslaved people. Every day was a humiliation. They were made to do the dirty work of Babylon. And so for 70 years, it seemed like the promise, the covenant, was dying, Lots of Israelites left the faith during that time. When they were in Babylon, there was all sorts of incentive to assimilate. Keeping the ways of Israel did not advance you in the kingdom of Babylon. If you wanted to get ahead, you should stop doing all that Sabbath stuff, stop keeping kosher, stop keeping all those laws that make you look different, and just do like the Babylonians. You can get work, you'll advance, just fit in and you'll get ahead. Lots of Israelites assimilated. And even for those who didn't, keeping the faith seemed pointless. And if you think I'm making that up, go and read some of the Psalms that were written during exile. These are some of the hardest Psalms of lament of people who do not understand what God is doing. Lord, where is your covenant? For people who tried to keep the faith, they were thinking of those old promises that they'd heard on their mother's knee that Israel be a great nation. From the time they were kids, their parents had told them Israel is special. Israel is chosen of God. God had told Abraham that they would be a great nation and that all the kingdoms of the world would be blessed through them. And at certain points in Israel's history, that covenant promise seemed absolutely true. During the time of David, that was an easy promise to believe, right? David was the strong. Israel was strong. People literally came to them. All kinds of people paid tribute. The Queen of Sheba comes. We are God's chosen people. It's clear. But in Babylon, it was not clear. Every cultural sign seem to point in the opposite direction of God's covenant promises. Israel was not great. She was not strong. All she was trying to do was survive. So people were discouraged, they were tired, and they were spiritually wounded. And that's what Isaiah is trying to speak into. If you listen to Isaiah's words, you can hear him trying to speak into that kind of desolation. Don't be afraid. I will keep my promises. My spirit will not depart from you. The promises I've made, they'll be on your lips and the lips of your children and the lips of your children's children. 
As for me, this is my covenant with you. My spirit who is in you will not depart from your lips or from the lips of your children for this time forth and forever. The glory of the Lord will rise upon you. Nations will come to your light. Kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. Don't be afraid. This will happen. The covenant holds. Now you can imagine that the Israelites who were living 50 years in exile, even as they heard Isaiah's words repeated, would have had a hard time believing those things. Kings coming to the brightness of our dawn, a slave people. Nations coming to our light. That seems about as likely as someone rising from the dead. But we know how the story worked out. All of Isaiah's promises came true. Darkness covered the world, thick darkness the people, and the light arose, Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem. And kings came to the brightness of that dawn, bringing tribute, bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And nations came to that light. After Pentecost, the whole world surrounded that light and moved towards that light. And so today, all of the world, the world has changed through the chosen people of Israel. All God's covenant promises came true. All through scripture, again and again, through prophets and teachers and poets, God says the same thing over and over. Don't be afraid, my promises hold. Don't be afraid, my covenant stands. Don't be afraid, nothing shall take you from my hand. What Isaiah said 2,600 years ago, we repeated to the Bossenbrook family tonight. God's promises are on you. His covenant is the foundation of your life and of Maxima's life. Those promises are strong and they will not fail. Now, you're not in exile. Your situation is much more like uh, David in the time of Israel's thriving. Young couple, two beautiful kids. Sure, the kids cried a bit. But all in all, you guys are doing great. God's blessing in your life is right there close to the surface. But I promise you it will not always be so. There will be days where life will feel like exile. I don't wish those days on you, but Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. There will be days when stuff happens to you that makes no sense. There will be days when stuff happens to Maxima that makes no sense. On those days, remember your baptism. Remember what was said at this font through the screams appropriately enough, about the covenant promises of God. Remember all those times where Israel seemed to be dead and God raised her up again. Remember all those times the church seemed to be dead and God kept it going. Parenting is hard. You give your all to it. But if it's just up to you, it's impossible. Everything you do, in everything you do, there is this covenant promise, this love that is moving in you and around you and through you, and it's making the small, uncertain things that you do into something holy and good. The covenant stands. So Christmas and baptism go together because they're both times where we celebrate the faithfulness of God's covenant promises. Christmas and baptism, 
second reason go together because they also are times when we celebrate the importance of face-to-face community. That community is not something abstract, it's something fleshy. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. God is not content to stay way up in heaven and send us messages about how we shall behave and what we should do. He's not even content to send us messengers like Isaiah and prophets to come and tell us what he wants. He wants to be close to us himself. God wanted to be close enough to touch the lepers, close enough to embrace the children and hear them laugh and see the joy in their eyes, close enough to the blind beggars to smell their desperation and to speak into it, close enough to grieving people that he could see them weep and see how how lost just absolutely tore them apart so that his own heart could be convulsed and he could weep with them, close enough even that he could feel the weight of human hatred and anger and division And so that that hatred could strike him and spit on him and strike him down and so that he could take it into himself and by the power of his blood absorb it and start something completely new in the middle of the world. At Christmas, God's love is not an extra abstraction. It is the furthest thing from abstract. It is flesh and blood. And baptism too is flesh and blood. When Maxima was baptized, we say, you've heard ministers say this, baptized into Christ. What do we mean by that? We say into the body of Christ, into this church family. Becomes, she becomes a member of this community. That's because here in this place, that's how God makes himself known, through community. And that's why we make all parents, including these guys, promise that they will keep their children close to the community. They will not just teach them abstract ideas. They will will bring them to community, to flesh and blood people like us. Stephen Allison, do you promise to train Maxima in Christ's way through the nurture of the church? We do, God helping us. You heard it tonight. And we did that to all you parents. We proclaim that same truth every time we say the Apostles' Creed and say, I believe in the communion of the saints. This is a communion. It's not just a bunch of people with shared the same worldview, shared the same abstract ideas. It's not simply that we agree on the truth of the Apostles' Creed and the truth of the Heidelberg Catechism, though we do, and that's very good. We are a community. We pray for each other. We walk with each other. We laugh with each other. We weep with each other. We challenge each other when we go astray. We encourage each other as we walk down the hard road of life, because being a human is hard. I came across this quote from Martin Luther this week, talking about not just the centrality of Christian doctrine, but the centrality of this community. Therefore, the person, this is Luther now, who would find Christ, if you want to find Christ, you must find the church. How should we know where Christ and his faith were if we did not know where his believers are. And he who would know anything of Christ must not trust himself nor build a bridge to heaven by his own reason. This is not about you and your intellectual ascents. But he must go to the church. 
attend her and ask her. Now the church is not wood and stone, but the company of believing people. And one must hold to them and see how they believe and live and teach because they surely have Christ in their midst. That would be a good baptism sermon. They surely have Christ in their midst. These people, you guys, Christ in your midst. This is where God makes himself known. This is where the light shines. God chooses us to bring his truth to the world. Yes, you people, we people, we ornery folk, we beautiful family of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your church. Lord, you know we sometimes fight with each other. We certainly don't always agree with one another. You know that uh, we get on each other's nerves and we irritate each other. And you know clearly all the ways in which we let you down week after week. But somehow by your spirit, you hold us together. And in this, this broken, smoldering wick, you light the fire of your Holy Spirit. For that, we give you thanks and praise. And we pray that you would sustain your church by your light and by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.